Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Blake, welcome to uh, Friday. What is today? The 8th of March. It's uh, International Women's Day. Was it today or yesterday? It's today. I, I know it's confusing okay. because I, our first article is Practicnition announced their top women, their top 50 women in accounting for 2018 list. But mm-hmm. they, they released that last night in anticipation of International Women's Day, which is today. Madeline Pratt had a, uh, with Practicnition, I think, had um, had nine women on and they had um, like a panel just talking about all the issues in women in accounting. And it, and it ranged from like the practice numbers, right? And women not being partners, all the way down to teeny little, like bigger world problems of like microfinancing for women to just to have, get jobs, right? Or to start businesses. Yep. So, it, and apparently she's going to release that in a podcast format that what they recorded. Maybe we can get that in the show notes once it's out. A lot of people that women that follow the podcast that we know both personally um, are in that list list of the top 50. Yeah, it was great to see Allison Ball from Intuit on there, Michelle Long, Ingrid Estrom, Marriott Martinez. You're sc- I, scrolling I, faster than I can scroll here. <laughs> I've got a trackpad. So yeah, really cool. Um, and it was interesting. Um, oh, Rachel Fish of Sage, Amanda Aguilar. So, Cindy Squires is on there, Diana Lu- Diane Lucas. Uh, um, what was interesting about this is they said that the way they decided who would get on the list is... It was an anonymized scoring system, which took into account the communication of professional and community achievements. So I guess you, the judges did not know the names of the people uh, associated with each application. That's impressive. It's a big list and it's uh, it's definitely a global list as you scroll through it. And congratulations to everybody that's on that list. Yeah, well done. Lisa Martin, uh, Eileen Adao. There's people I've never even heard of. Somebody's with, uh, I'm going to have to research Some, her, her firm or her app or company is called Hot Toast. Um, Sarah, Sarah Lawrence, I'm gonna have to, this is good because it gives exposure to new people we've never seen before. Yeah, it's good. And there's a lot of people doing great things in the profession who are just too busy to be on Twitter all the time. David. <laughs> oh, are you we, speaking of me? We, <laughs> we, <laughs> we lose sight of that. <laughs> no, no, that wasn't directed okay, at you okay, directly. Just making sure. Sorry. I didn't, I wasn't, wasn't throwing shade at you, David. It. Okay, perfect. Hopefully we'll find that link to the audio of that panel discussion that kind of ties on to this list. And we'll get that in the show notes for people to listen to out of, uh, I don't know. Um, it's, uh, I think she's going to put it on her uh, podcast, Finding Fearless. And so we'll try to get that in there. Perfect. Oh. I know I have a lot of teeny articles today, a lot of app news. Do you have any other bigger stories? Well, you know, we always like to continue our coverage of QuickBooks Live and what Intuit is doing in the face of becoming an AI-powered platform, whatever that means, right? And this is something that was sent to me when all of that news was blowing up, it's another website, another project that Intuit is working on called Intuit Expert Connections. Uh, this is a live website. It's proconnect.intuit.com forward slash expert hyphen connections. And that link will be in the show notes for you if you want to check it out. The page is uh, called Intuit Expert Connections, and the subhead is easily find and hire Intuit screened accounting professionals to support your practice with temporary or in-season help. And the idea, it looks like it's a marketplace. The idea is uh, to describe the work that you need. Let's say you're a firm and you need extra help during tax season. Intuit will then match you with three qualified pros. You can compare their reviews and experience and pick your favorite. And then there is a collaboration platform where you can share files, chat over video and email, all over Intuit's secure platform. And you pay through the platform by the task and only when the work is completed to your satisfaction. 
and the cost is $58 per hour. So thank you to the anonymous Twitter user who sent us this uh, intel. And just to be clear, uh, the they received this uh, link via an email from uh, someone from Intuit. And uh, the Intuit person who forwarded this said that the offering is still in concept phase. So not a test, but a concept phase. With 35,000 qualified people already vetted by Intuit. That's this is, <laughs> I'm just I'm like, wow, that's very impressive. But so, so just to make sure I'm, I have this right in my head. So this is not targeting small business owners. This is targeting accounting firm owners who need help on Intuit's Pro Series products or Lacert products, essentially. Yeah, well, I, I think it's designed for people who are already using their their ProConnect products. And I'm going through actually the um, the interview right now to sign up to see if it's possible. But yeah, the idea is I have a firm and I want to get somebody to help me. Oh, yep. So again, this is a test. Thank you for your interest in expert connections. We're still testing and exploring how best to provide the service to you. Rest assured, we will contact you soon with more information. Oh, so this is a complete, true, a truly another test. Let's see how, wow. Yeah. This model, this kind of being the middleman, doing this matching service, it's right, it's right aligned to what um, Sasan said in the Intuit earnings announcements. And on the earnings call, this yeah. we're going to build uh, expert platform where we're going to match people up. Yeah. And so not only do they match small businesses, they're going to match accounting firms to other accounting talent. Yeah. That's what, what, he, what he said on the earnings call. And you, you, you pulled this quote last time and I thought it was great. Just to summarize what he said, it's that the biggest challenge their customers have right now is finding professionals, matching up with professionals to help them getting that help that they need. And so Intuit wants to be the middleman, wants to be the platform in between that connects those business owners and those professionals. And of course, they want to extract some value from it. So the big question is what model is going to end up being the one that dominates? Is it going to be something like this, where it's more of a, a marketplace type model like Upwork or any of those other services where you can get help from freelancers or independent contractors? Or is it going to be a model where Intuit hires people who then provide on-demand help to customers? Is it going to be the, you know, to bring back the GoDaddy analogy, is it going to be that do it with me or do it for me marketplace type model? I think Intuit's just experimenting at this point. And they could offer all of the above. Right. Intuit's big enough to do that. And the services that need to be provided for from consumer tax to pro series tax to small business bookkeeping, there's the whole wide range. They, they could do all these different models depending on what the right fit is where. Of course, you know, I have the same concerns about this product as I do about QuickBooks Live. With Intuit Expert Connections, the price appears to be set at $50 per hour. So I, as a professional, can only make up to what Intuit charges minus their fee. So whatever that is, right? I imagine it would probably be at least 10%, maybe up to 30%. So we're probably looking at me as a professional using their platform, making anywhere from $35 to $45 per hour, which for some folks, that's great. I would never work for $35 to $45 per hour at this point in my career. I can make way more on my own. I, I think Intuit probably needs to launch this fast because my article, uh, it's going to create a lot of need and demand possibly here. Um, <laughs> so this article is it. in Forbes. Uh, it is uh, written by Kelly Phillips Herb, who I think is like the number one social Twitter person in our space, right? Uh, so she mm -hmm. uh, has an article, reports suggest 
Congress and IRS should give taxpayers more time to file in 2019. So if you're a firm owner, the, this report's suggesting, if I scroll down here, I want to say it wants to extend it 30 days because of the government shutdown. Individual taxpayers should go till May 15th, 2019. Kelly is not going to make a lot of friends with this article in the like staff accountants working at but firms. Just, this is not her opinion. <laughs> this is actually the recommendation of the NTUF, which is the national... All right, so there's the National Taxpayer Advocate, but then there's a second acronym for NTUF, which, what does the UF stand for? Oh, that's the National Taxpayers Union Foundation. So there's there's two two organizations that are lobbying for this. Okay, so, so they are saying that because of the shutdown, that tax season should be basically extended, what, almost a whole month? Yes, they're, they're, they're saying it should be, a, the shutdown was 30, uh, what'd they say, 35 days? Mm-hmm. And this should be extended a whole month because, for example, in the beginning of the season, the IRS is only answering about 48% of incoming calls and they had an average wait time of 17 minutes. So, right. you know, at this, at the same comparison from the year before, the previous year, they're answering 86% of the calls with an average wait time of four minutes. So their argument is, is that the IRS is just behind and people who need the IRS's service have not gotten it yet. Right. And so they're going to need they're going to need time to uh, catch up on this. So I guess accountants who've had vacations planned should maybe cancel them and maybe use Intuit service to get some extra help because this could happen. Oh, boy. Oh, that'll, that'll make a lot of people, I think, very unhappy, <laughs> but probably good considering the complexity of the tax code this year. But in general, like it's fairly easy to get an extension. So, right. I mean, maybe maybe that'll be the recommendation is that... Well, here's what should happen is that the uh, Congress should pass a law that automatically just extends everybody and waives the penalty for underpayment. So it wouldn't actually extend taxis and it would just give everybody an automatic extension. Well, it's not an election year. So they're not going to do anything like that. Right. Now, of course. (laughs) they, they They don't need the goodwill. But yes, it's, it's 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 something they should keep in their pocket uh, for the future. All right. Well, let's let's flip over from tax to getting all that accounting done. Yeah, I have an article from CFO Magazine. It's one of their metrics of the month. I've shared. I just think I've shared metrics from them before in the past, right? Yep. I love this series that they do. So it's metric of the month, and this one is number of accounts in the chart of accounts. So David. I'm going to, don't look, don't look at the screen. All right, I'm not looking. And I want you to guess what, tell me what you, you know, as a non-accountant who's been in the accounting space for many, many years, uh, what do you think is the appropriate number of accounts in a typical chart of accounts? I think I have 68 in mine. Um, So Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you don't try to put every single job or business unit as a separate account in your chart of accounts. I think you 250, 300 might be reasonable for a medium-sized business. All right. So you're actually pretty on the money there. According to this survey, and, and this includes some very large organizations. So the folks who are you know working only with smaller organizations, this might seem like a lot. The typical company has 450 accounts in their chart of accounts. And the top 25th percentile is, is 200. And the bottom is 860. So we have a spread of about 200 on the low side to 450 in the middle to 860 at the uh, at the most. It's funny because the author of the article says uh, that he's 
uh, is part of the organization that collects this data, APQC. And APQC is currently in the middle of transitioning to a new ERP system. And uh, uh, Perry Wiggins, who wrote the article, he's the CFO there. And he says they have more than 5,000 accounts in their chart of accounts. So they obviously have way more than they need. And I, I think the reason, I'm going to guess, is because they added accounts, sub-accounts, in order to track that kind of stuff that people should be tracking using classes and dimensions, yeah. right? And this is one of the reasons to switch to like a modern accounting system is that old accounting systems didn't have dimensions or classes. And so you had to just add a million accounts to your chart of accounts in order to get all that data. But now you don't have to do that anymore. It goes back to like payroll. Uh, when QuickBooks desktop had payroll items to track all the payroll stuff, but you just have one payroll liabilities account and one payroll expense account, right? And so, yeah, you don't no. have to have these with software now. You don't have to do this. Actually, you haven't had to do it in like 20 years, but it, but I've seen it. Like people make these obnoxious chart of accounts. So is there a, do they have a recommended or is this just kind of the, here's what the, here's what our survey showed out of 1400? This, yeah, this is just what the survey showed. I mean, I'm, so I went into my own accounting and I looked at my chart of accounts. I figured it would be kind of high because I'm a little bit, I, I'm, I'm very particular <laughs> about tracking everything in detail, right? So I have uh, 277 accounts in my personal chart of accounts. Probably could condense that down to under 200 uh, very easily. I, I just, I break out stuff like, I don't know, medical expenses. I like to break it out, you know, if it's, uh, you know, eye care or doctor or pharmacy. Are oh, talking about like your personal really, finances? Break, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah my, my mind's personal. over a mess too. Like um, restaurants versus fast food. I'm like, why do I track that? Do I care? Well, I don't know. Well, there's no utility in it, right? So like you need to start from the high level asking what kind of reporting do I need and then figure out what how many accounts you need to, to roll up into that. I don't actually need it. Like I have a travel account that, you know, for vacations and whatnot, right? I probably could just have one account that's travel. Instead, I've got it broken down. Travel hotel, travel ground transportation, <laughs> travel airfare. Like it doesn't matter to me personally. I have no reason to break it out in that way, but I set it up that way to begin with and now I have to live with it, right? Or I have to go through a project of archiving the old ones and reclassifying transactions and whatnot. Yeah. I think this goes to a theory I always have about uh, people have this irrational emotional attachment to their financial data in a way. And it's kind of that similar thing where you overtrack, even though the reality is you never have a meeting about it. You never really care if you went to, if it was a, if, if it was a restaurant versus a fast food restaurant or however, whatever nuances you're getting, you're drilling down into. But once you kind of set that and you're tracking it that way, you're just like, that's how I've always done it. And you just can't let go. It's just an irrational emotional attachment to data. One way to figure out how to condense your chart of accounts if you're thinking about doing this in your organization or for your clients is to look at that trial balance on a month-to-month -month basis and see how material are the amounts in these accounts. If it's below the threshold of what you would consider material for that organization, then just get rid of it, right? It, unless there's some reason you need it for tax purposes or whatnot. But like, yeah. Well, the author of this um, article, he actually said he examined their own accounts and of the 5,000, 4,500 had almost little activity and had a balance of $10 or less. So they're just, it's just wasted <laughs> accounts in space. Yeah. It's just, it makes things much harder for everybody because then they, it's just hard to get to know the chart of accounts when there's that many of them. And instead, it's more likely stuff's going to get misclassified. Yeah, totally, totally. Makes sense. There are really simple things we can do to improve accounting. We don't need technology to simplify our chart of accounts, you know. Yeah. Uh, you want to jump into one of your, another one of yours? I don't know. Uh, let's see. What's, what about you? Uh, one that's an interesting one that I have here is Facebook. 
So Facebook Workspace, or, I'm sorry, Workplace. So I don't know if anybody's seen this uh, at all. This is their product for corporations who want to create a communications tool, internal social network. That's right? correct, but it's not internal because it's on Facebook. So just how if you're on Facebook and you're in a Facebook group, it'd be like having a Facebook group for Flowcast and all the Flowcast employees are in there and you can share docs, you can set up events and meetings, you can do video conferencing and chat right. and all the Facebook functionality that you're used to having plus additional business collaboration type workflows. But it's limited to just employees at face at flow that is correct got it okay and I've, I've known it's existed i knew people were starting to use it uh i think i saw a video interview of um the cfo of smartsheet right and smartsheet mm -hmm. in a way is kind of a collaboration tool and smartsheet is using workplace to do their their collaboration internally so the, the real thing is they've reached They've, they've now reached 2 million paid users. Now, obviously, they're going for enterprises. So, you know, if they get enterprise on, maybe they get 5,000 users, right? Right. So, so it is, but it's a very interesting number. And this is a growing space. Uh, Microsoft now, if you get Microsoft Office 365, you get Teams. Um, well, wait, wait, wait. So, sorry, but so what's the, what's the news about this? Like, why are we talking about well, Facebook Workplace? Because it's, it's hitting uh, a new level of usage. And so now there's a lot of things like this, right? So could you use this at your firm? Could you use this with clients? Because people are already in the Facebook. They're comfortable with Facebook, right? right? They already know how to use it. They already need to use it. You don't have to train them on how to use some portal to interact with you. Wait, wait. So could I, could I invite clients into Workplace? That I don't know. I mean, maybe we have to set up a Facebook Workplace and try that out. So they've hit 2 million paid users. That's why they made news here in Computer World which is a lot. And, and of course, it's easier for them to get a lot of users because they go after big enterprise. Like I think Walmart is on Workplace and it's super cheap. It's only $3 per active user per month, which is way less than apps like Slack. So it's very easy as a large organization to implement it because it's almost trivial how the cost. Yeah. And why it's important to us is they're now going to come down market and go after smaller businesses. Right. So maybe nobody in our space has any clients using it yet. None of the accounting firms and booking firms that are listening to this podcast are using it. Six months from now, guarantee you, people on our space are going to be using this. Like it's coming. So yeah, if, if, if you're listening and you are using Workplace by Facebook or you have experience with it, I'd really love to hear how your experience has been going because I'm fascinated by all these social collaboration tools in accounting firms to find out what is working and what is not. If you want to share that, reach out to me and David on Twitter. I'm at Blake T. Oliver. And I'm at David Leary. Definitely reach out on this. And they have 50 third-party apps that integrate with it. Even Microsoft integrates SharePoint with it, even though Microsoft has their own competing product. Mm -hmm. um, and then obviously you have Slack is out there. Uh, I think Dropbox is heading towards cl more collaboration. Interesting. This is this this next level of collaboration tools that are not internal, right? Is is moving to the cloud, right? Like previously, people would have their internet internal; nobody could get to it outside the world. Now people are at the a new level where I mean, if five years ago, if somebody said you're going to put your company everything as on Facebook, people would have said <laughs> you were crazy. But that's happening now. I've always actually liked Facebook. As a platform, I think it's just very well organized and the group's features are fantastic. If you can use it for a good purpose, like, you know, growing your business, then that's great. It'll be interesting because I remember when Yammer first came out and, and, and just a lesson from like my, my experience into it. And I remember it was really cool and high tech and it was new and only like the first like hundred 
Intuit employees were on it. And it was like really engaging conversations, but it was just a small number of people. And then as soon as they rolled it out to the entire company and 5,000 people were on it, people were putting pictures of their dogs and all this other stuff. And it just, it just wasn't as useful. And so I, I wonder if people start using their Facebook workplace the same way they use the rest of Facebook, and then it just becomes not very useful. Yeah. Uh, see, uh, see how that, that, that grows over time. Be prepared. It's coming. This is related to social apps and communication at work. Tools like Workplace by Facebook and Slack allow employees to work more efficiently remotely. They don't necessarily have to be in the office to collaborate. I found a survey by Zero. It was a survey of South African accountants about the way they use cloud technology. A few points in here that I wanted to pull out having to do with remote work. The report says that 53% of respondents said they could perform their duties more effectively if they were allowed to work from beyond the office. A majority of accountants in the survey said they could be more effective outside the office. And yet, as we experience here in the U.S., 75% of accountants said they're based in an office and only 13% work from home. Now, it's not clear whether those 13% or the, that the other, uh, what, 87% uh, work at the office uh, because they have to or at the client's office because they have to, but there seems to be a disconnect between people saying I can be more productive at home and then the amount that employers actually allow them to work at home. The uh, the interesting uh, part that's in here is that that benefit of it's, it's healthier, happier workplace both ways. Working from home just decreases stress, right? They don't have to rush to get on the bus, get on the car. And then when they do come to the office, they're just more relaxed. I love, for instance, I love Mondays working at home because I don't have to get into the office and get distracted. I can get straight to work, hit tackle the most important things that I need to do that week, and then come in on Tuesday and have all those converse, water cooler conversations and, and sort of thing, right? But I've been productive for at least one day. I like that kind of hybrid flexibility and just not enough employers embrace that, unfortunately. But if with tools like Facebook uh, Workplace, you can enable your remote workforce. Exactly. So what else do you got, David? Nationwide, you know, Nationwide's on your side. It's huge on your insurance, side. Huge insurance provider. Yeah. They are partnering with a small business, small business lending I'm going to use the word app, Bluevine. So some of people may have seen Bluevine. They were, I mean, I remember they were teeny. And I remember they were, in the grand scheme of banking, and banks and, and insurance companies. Bluevine was a teeny little app that launched on apps.com. Mm -hmm. And now Nationwide's partnering with them to provide small businesses easier loans. Another example, banks are being disrupted by these small loan players, which leads me to the very next article. Wait, 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 but I'm not, oh. I don't understand. You're going too fast. Okay. Too fast. Okay, <laughs> wait, sorry. Why did Nationwide partner with Bluevine to do what? To help customers of the uh, Nationwide's insurance product, get easier business, small business loans. Oh, so like if Nationwide isn't sharing them for workers comp or liability or whatever, they'll refer them to, it's a way for Bluevine to get in front of them? Yeah, exactly. Oh, right. And it. so I think the news here is, is it's not Nationwide and Bank of America paired up. It's not Nationwide and uh, JP Morgan Chase paired up. Right? right. They paired up with, arguably, I mean, they're growing like crazy, but arguably a teeny little company in the in the vat grand scheme of banks and insurance companies, okay. right? but my next three articles are all related. Right, all right let's, so let's hear it. more small business funding funding circle, who is a small business lending software play that again uses small business data to give out those loans, disrupting the banks. They announced now they're going to launch in Canada soon. Hmm. So so that they're now growing. Rachel Fish will be very excited to hear that. Yes, so funding circles coming to Canada. And then we'll go from Canada to the other side of the ocean. PayPal 
hit 1 billion in UK small business lending. So PayPal is doing small business lending based on data they know about small businesses that use PayPal. They've done a billion dollars in the UK. And then last article, this this is all software startup apps that are giving small business loans and just disrupting the banks. Square Capital, they are leveraging data to extend credit to small businesses that lack access to traditional loans. So there's four articles that all came out in the the last two days, and it's all about, you know, they're they're separate companies that that are all giving small business credit. And I feel like I saw a tweet about Intuit doing another $225 in small business loans recently um, this week, but I didn't see the article. So it seems like everybody wants in with small businesses. They all want to be lending to small businesses. Could this be the beginning of a new bubble? I mean, because small businesses aren't exactly the most credit worthy uh, borrowers, which is why the big banks haven't been lending to them traditionally. And if all of these apps get in the game of lending money to small businesses and not doing a whole lot of due diligence and just using you know their their aggregated data to make these loans, what if we get in a situation where too many loans are, are out there? Uh, and we have a financial crisis, some sort of recession, and, and none of these apps ever get paid back. That could be the case, except for I don't think they're using aggregated data. I think they're using individual data inside of each accounting file that they connect to. So, th- so basically what they're doing, the loan process for all of these, the historically the banks, you'd bring in your profit and loss, your balance sheet, you'd fill out tons of paperwork. It would take months for you to get a loan. These services, you're connecting your QuickBooks account, yeah. right? You're, you're connecting up maybe your bank accounts through service like Plaid, possibly. Mm-hmm. They're seeing the real data you have and then giving you a loan amount based on that real data. Got an it. individualized loan in 10 minutes. And so they're basically, they're doing something that the real, the real banks, right? Historical real banks never could do before because they never had access to the data. Right. And they've just completely missed the boat. And it's very clear that people like Nationwide are now recognizing this and partnering with these these companies that know how to do with lending to small business. You know what would be really funny? I wonder if if I took a bunch of demo data and populated a QuickBooks file, and then I hooked it up to Bluevine or Funding Circle or Square Capital or whatever, I wonder if they would give me a loan <laughs> using, <laughs> using fake data. I, I'm sure people are trying that because I remember back in the payroll days and direct deposit days, people would create fake companies. Yeah. And then go talk to ADP and go, hey, I need to run this payroll. They create 50 fake employees <laughs> and they would steal the direct deposit money from, from ADP so or into a payroll or whoever it might be. So if people were doing those scams with payroll companies before, you know they're doing scams with – there's criminals everywhere, man. I bet they're everywhere. Well, I, I bet we start hearing about that. I, you know, it's probably small right now, but not to give anybody any ideas <laughs> – don't you heard it here. You heard it here first. Just, <laughs> if you get caught, make sure you plug us. <laughs> yeah, you got to say the Cloud Accounting Podcast gave me the idea. Um, <laughs> well, let's switch gears and yeah. talk about income tax services and reviews. A site that I really admire, that I use constantly all the time that our listeners may be familiar with is The Wirecutter. It's a site for super in-depth reviews of products of all sorts. They started out with just electronics, which is why they're called the wire cutter. Uh, but they have since, in the years since, they became successful, expanded into home and garden, kitchen and dining, money, travel, office, basically anything that you can review. Sort of like a the next generation of consumer reports is how I like to think. And then New York Times bought Yeah, New York Times so bought they obviously them. grew to the point where they're worth acquiring. I spotted a review 
our guide on on the wire cutter called when you should hire a CPA or tax pro and it's basically a guide for the layman about you know when when should I do it myself with a TurboTax for instance and when should I hire a CPA or a tax pro uh, and I won't get into the whole thing it's actually pretty well written I wanted to call out one of the really cool things I saw at the end, under the list of things to ask during an interview, when you're interviewing a tax pro, the last question is, what software programs or apps do you use? And here's the uh, paragraph after that question. Quote, the tax preparation business is in the middle of a disruption. Technology is automating many of the tasks humans performed previously. Many accountants have embraced this change and adopted technologies that make it easier to work with their clients and free up time to provide more strategic advice. Working with a tax preparer who takes advantage of tools such as cloud accounting and apps that allow you to securely send documents and electronically review and sign a return can save time and trips to their office. Cloud accounting made it into the Wirecutter review. That's amazing. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that somebody else is talking about the same thing we talk about every week, right? Is these apps and these tools and being more efficient. Like it's hitting mainstream. Yeah. Now it's still in this, like, a sub part of the New York Times, <laughs> but maybe this, maybe this will be in the New York Times yeah, soon. And, and it'll be a, it'll move up a, a It was at the very end of a very long article, but I, I thought it was really cool that they mentioned it and just, it came up in my uh, Google alert for the term cloud accounting. <laughs> it is a very long article. It's interesting because like, if somebody sees this headline, when you should hire a CPA or a tax pro, I just don't see somebody reading the whole article unless they're really trying to make this decision right now. Like, cause it's, it is very and what long. I like about the wire cutter with all the reviews is that up front, it's written like a news article where you get the key information at the top, right? With that inverted pyramid type structure. And so they say at the beginning that a tax pro is likely your best bet in several situations, including the following four situations. Uh, one, you're self-employed. Two, you experience a major life event, such as getting married or moving to a different state. Three, you own rental property. Or four, you have foreign accounts or investments. Number two is interesting because that is something that Brad Smith and I believe Sasan Gudarzi also called it out in their Intuit earnings calls as one of the number one reasons that people leave TurboTax is because they have a major life event and they are no longer confident that they'll be able to accurately prepare their own tax return using the software. And so they go find a professional to help them. Well, the whole point of TurboTax Live is so that you have the comfort of being able to ask a question about that major life event and know you did it right. And you get to still do it. You still get to your taxes right. You get the little bit of help you need and you get to move yeah. forward and you don't have to just bail on your the thing you like, maybe you enjoy doing your own taxes, right? And you yeah. just got in over your head one year. One exactly. Uh, I must commend the wire cutter though. I, I actually do not read their, their blog, but this article, like the way they've done it, like they have like a little table of context, which links to the different parts of the article down yeah. below. The whole article is on one page. Like it's not 10 separate pages. You get a click and then there's ads everywhere and it's not playing auto video. I mean, a a as a consumer of blog posts, if you want to call it that or articles like wire cutter like, yes i'm clapping a little golf <laughs> clap here it, it's it's like everybody's blog should be like it's this. very well written oh yeah it's it's easy to navigate it's it's really there's no noxious stuff in the way um we'll see how long that lasts though i'm sure it'll get the new york times paywall and that'll be into that it's possible that that actually might make me subscribe so david anything else on your end a couple of little small merger news okay. so certify who is a enterprise level um expense management mm -hmm. app you know 
So similar, same space is expensive. I concur, all those other ones. So I know they already merged with uh, Nixonia, Tally. Who are the other players in that? Uh, it was like a five-way merger. And I know we talked about it early on in the year. And now they've merged with another company, Chrome River, who's in the same so space. So the way I understood it with those deals was it was a private equity firm that bought them all. Or bought them but all. Okay. Are they, I think they're still all separate applications, right? I haven't heard about the the apps actually merging. It seems to me this is more of just a aggregated aggregation type play. Yeah. So they they yes they because they they basically have apps in at the each of the level. Like here's our small business app. Here's our mid right. mid range app. Here's our enterprise app. And so yes, it is a play of that. Like I don't think the apps talk to each other. I don't think you can migrate from one app to the other app. You're right. It's is a bunch of separate plays. But now they've just taken on. You know, the, I think now this is now the sixth app that's in similar space now merged with these other companies with the rest of them and a $1 billion deal with Chrome River. Yeah. Well, it might make sense because there are different needs. Every you know segment of the market has different needs and this PE firm, K1 Investment Management, can utilize a shared sales and marketing organization across all the apps and save a lot of money on overhead in that respect. Yeah. Which, which I think on paper, yes. Uh, the reality is, my understanding is Everything in these companies is still all very, very separate a year yeah. into this. We'll see where, see where it goes. But you're right. They, they should be able to stack shared resources, including marketing departments and IT. And But my understanding, none of that's happened yeah. yet, which is hard because, I mean, these are big companies that are uh, merging together. Well, it's, it's good for extracting value from companies that already exist and have a user base. It's not necessarily great for innovation. And then um, Wave Accounting Software, uh, they acquired another Canadian um, small business provider, uh, called every and so every basically provides um business uh debit cards and small business accounts so so wave accounting software is kind of getting into a small business banking play well that makes sense because wave is free right they have to make money somehow well i think they make money on um their payroll and they have a paid version as well but they so but the the real thing is is again this is that same theme these tech companies like intuit are getting into banking squares getting into banking wave is getting into banking one more small, quick one. Um, company called Fleetcore buys a, a company called, it's, it's a capital N. So it's invoice pay, but it's just no I. So it's invoice, capital N, invoice pay. Oh, I always wondered how that was pronounced. Yeah. So so it's invoice, but no no I on the word invoice to expand their corporate payments. So what it is, is uh, Fleetcore is a payments company for uh, commercial payments, um, global payments. So I would say that in our space, they're probably like a, an enterprise version of... Bill.com, in a way, they're, they're big payments play. And they purchased an account's payable automation tool, Invoice Pay. So if you have um, your big enterprise doing tens of thousands of invoices and you have an AP automation or an AP approval process, so the payments company now bought the process, right? So now it's really full end-to-end hmm. workflow. Interesting. So that's the last of the merger news. All right. Well, now everybody who's listening is up to date on the latest in app mergers. <laughs> Hopefully, I had no news last week. I had nothing last week. And then tons. Of- Hopefully, this is not too much inside baseball and that people actually care about this. I, I'm not saying I'm, I find it interesting. I'm just, you know. Well, let us know. Yeah. If, if you guys think like I'm obsessed too much with everybody becoming a bank, <laughs> please let us know. But I but I think it's important because if if the software companies that provide accounting services and are moving data around and understand data, right, and understand open platforms, they become the banks. Great. Why do we have to wait for the banks to release their data? Mm-hmm. Cut them out. That's my opinion. Just cut the banks out of the picture. Why not? 
Well, hey, you know, that's all the time we've got today, David. Uh, if folks want to reach us online, where's the best place for them to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is on Twitter, at David Leary. And I'm at Blake T. Oliver. And everybody should probably go to our Facebook page. Uh, it's just Cloud Accounting Podcast on Facebook. Like that page. So if we do any uh, Facebook Live events, you'll be notified right away that we're doing those. And the other thing we really want somebody to do, we would love it if you went to iTunes and you left a review. If you do that, Blake... We'll read your iTunes rating and review on the Cloud Accounting Podcast in the next episode. Yes, although I reserve the right to edit for clarity and appropriateness. We should put that disclosure. <laughs> so only five-star reviews will be yeah, read. Yeah, you know, I, I just want to make sure we're not, you know, uh, we haven't created a contract here, David. <laughs> a, bunch of, a bunch of commercials, right? People, A bunch of spammers will go in there and you're reading. Yeah, well, you know, I might have, have to read something I don't like reading. Like, I remember I took I took business law okay. to get my CPA. I just want to be careful there. <laughs> okay. So I, I won't yeah. promise too much. And if you don't want to read yeah, it, David I'll read will it. read it if I don't we'll, want to we'll read it. There we that. go. Great. Okay, perfect. And that's a wrap, I think. I know you got a meeting and I got to pick up kids from school, everybody. All right. Have a great weekend, David. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.